All right, I don't know if you noticed the title to the sermon this morning. That's the gospel response to homosexuality. And I can say uh, in our series, Transform Not Conformed, uh, this has been the most daunting of all the sermons for me as I planned and prepared. Uh, this is the one that's given me some anxiety. I mean, every Sunday I have some anxiety, but a little more with this one. And it's not because, uh, because I'm not sure what the Bible says uh, about this, and it isn't because I think the majority of you don't know what the Bible um, says. Uh, there are a couple of reasons, though. Uh, one, I've been anxious because uh, this topic is so big. And I don't mean uh, like a hot topic. It is that, too. But I just mean there are so many things to talk about in, in regards to this. Um, so paring down, boiling down to, uh, you know, just a handful of things was really daunting for me. Um, it was hard for me because I, I know that probably every person in this room has someone, uh, whether it's a close family member, uh, a friend, a relative, a neighbor, a, a co-worker. Um, you have a real connection, genuine relationship with someone that's in the LGBT uh, community. Um, and I know that you want to love them. You want to love them well, and, and there's a, a tension, there's a wrestling. As you want to love them, you also don't want your love uh, for them to be inadvertently misconstrued as, um, as an endorsement of sin. Uh, you want them to know Jesus, and you've wrestled with things like, how do I say something? When do I say something? Should I have said something? Should I have just shut my mouth and not said anything in that moment? You know, do, do I attend the wedding? Do I not attend the wedding? Um, Lindsay and I have good friends, a, a brother and sister, and their brother is gay, um, got married maybe four or five years ago, and they had to wrestle through uh, with do, do we go to the wedding or not? And, and each of them did that on their own with their, with, with their husband, husband and wife. And, um, you know, they, they talked to leadership in their church. And, and one of them, before the Lord, I uh, believe in a clear conscience, decided to go to the wedding. And the other one decided the exact opposite thing. Before, I believe, before the Lord in clear conscience. Like this is, there's so many hard things that we wrestle with here. Um, so so it's, it's been daunting thinking about a lot of these things and, and how close they hit to home. But for some of you, this hits much closer to home than for others. Um, maybe you're here, and, and we're not just talking about somebody else's story, but we're, we're talking about you. Maybe you felt things since you can remember towards the same sex. And, and I wonder if maybe the church has always been a scary place for you your whole life because of these feelings. Um, I'm sincerely sorry for that. I realize that churches, and probably including ours, have made just about every other sin confessable. Um, it, it's scary, no matter what the sin, it is scary to confess sin to a brother or sister in Christ. Sexual sin is, is even scarier, and I'm afraid that we've helped make same-sex attraction even scarier for people in the church to talk about, to confess. So I, I apologize for that. Uh, Jackie Hill Perry, uh, she's an author, um, uh, 
Uh, she speaks at, at different conferences. Uh, she's a, a spoken word poet. She has a podcast. Um, she, uh, I like her a lot. Um, she was a lesbian, came to Christ as an adult. She did, um, when she was really little, she did have some time in church because mom worked on Sunday, so she went with her aunt, who was a believer, to like Sunday school and stuff, but then eventually stopped going. And, and then years later in adulthood, um, God grabbed a hold of her heart, and, and she talked about what it was like to come to church, and, and I believe it's once she had become a Christian and was still though dealing with the same sex attraction, wanting to submit that to the Lord, but she talked about the way Christians would look at her. Um, she said uh, they looked at her like she was a bug, and she said not like a cockroach, but, but like a caterpillar. Right? And, and, and she said the way they looked, it, it was as if they were, they were saying, why are you this way? And, and, and in you being this way, you're somehow below me. I think Christians, if we're honest, we, we've made a lot of mistakes in this area. And, and maybe you haven't personally, um, but the church historically is, has not done great um, with, with the LGBT uh, community. I, I know um, as I examine myself in this area, not even just for this sermon, but, but um, just for this topic, period in life. Um, and there's, there's things that I have said that were just wrong. Uh, I look back to high school and college. Um, we, used, uh, we used the word gay. Um, it, it really is a replacement for like stupid or, or dumb. My, my friends and I would say, that's gay. And, and it, you, could, you could have replaced stupid or dumb in that we said that all the time. And um, we, uh, I, I'm going to date myself here. So I graduated in 97. Uh, some of you think that's super young, some of you don't. Um, uh, w my high school, there was not a single person that came out as gay. There were people at that time, and this is in Vancouver, obviously different parts of the country are different, but in Vancouver, at that time at my high school, nobody was. There were rumors. There were people you wondered, right? There were people that were gossiped about, but, but no one came out that way. Um, and, and so really, in Bible college, like I, I, I'm sure I had known some gay people, but I didn't even know it. I didn't even realize it. So my friends and I would throw around, like, that's gay, that's gay. And we didn't even mean it sexually. Obviously, it was, uh, uh, we obviously meant it in a negative way towards gay people. I don't know if we thought tons about that, but we did mean it that way. Um, and then one day, everything changed. Uh, we were convicted as my friend uh, came back from work, and he told us, that he had a gay coworker, new guy just got hired, found out he was gay. And all of us, without even speaking, we were instantly convicted. We thought, what if this guy heard us say that around him? <laughs> I went to Bible college, okay? I wasn't at like WSU, not that that's a heathen place, but I'm just saying, <laughs> like, like Bible college, we should have been among the most loving college students in the world. And we were convicted that maybe we weren't full of hate for gay people, but we certainly weren't full of love. And while I stopped speaking that way, I wonder what are other ways since then that I've not loved people well that are same-sex attracted, both outside the church and inside the church. There are former students that, uh, that I've since found out are gay, and, and I look back and I wonder, how did I teach about homosexuality? How did I talk about homosexuality? And, and, I, and I don't mean that I regret uh, talking about homosexuality as a sin, as the Bible does. I, I'm not saying that. But, but what I am saying 
is, is I, I wonder, did I, did I speak with grace and compassion? Did I speak with, with love? Did I represent the God of love as one of his ambassadors? I remember with one uh, guy in particular, there was a small group of us, and we read through the book of Romans together. Each week we'd discuss a chapter, Romans 1, hits on this, and, and, and I don't remember exactly what that discussion was like, but, but I do remember we, we had it, and, and it was good that we were in Scripture together talking about this, but, but looking back, I, I wonder, did I even give him space to talk about this, to admit that, that this is where he was? So I acknowledge that this, this topic is touchy, maybe even, probably even painful um, for some I also bet that most Christians wish that we didn't have to deal with this at all, that we just wish we were born another time. But God has each of us born in this age. Um, and for whatever reason, God has seen fit that you, Christian, live in a time where this is such a prominent issue in, in our culture and in the church. For the first 19 and a half centuries, Christians didn't have to face this issue, issue within the church. And it, certainly it was in the culture around, but, but not within the church questioning whether this is okay or not. So this topic is difficult as a Christian because, uh, or one reason it's difficult as a Christian is if you uh, hold a biblical stance uh, in our culture, you're labeled a homophobe. Right? Or, or if you uh, disagree with, say, uh, transgender stuff, you're, you're transphobic. Uh, and part of this is on us Christians for ways that we have not uh, loved people well. Uh, there there are, are ways that Christians have, have not loved well and we need to repent of. Um, so I say that, and I, I, I'm not saying that we do buy into, hey, if you feel a certain way, then, then that's how you are. And, and I understand that there is... Um, I mean, I say I understand, I've read about this, that medically, like, there is a, a small percentage of people, like, with, with uh, transgender issue, that, that biologically, right, medically, there's something going on there, and doctors are scratching their heads and going, I, I don't know. Uh, male, female, I don't know. So, so there is, like, a, a, a small segment of the population, but we also know that there are uh, our schools, you know, are, are asking, or someone here told me about um, uh, they had an interaction with someone, their, their kid, and said, are you a boy or a girl, when very clearly they were a girl, and the girl looked and like, I'm a girl, what, what do you mean? Like, our, our kids are being asked these things, um, and, and we live in a time that it is confusing, it's hard to navigate. Um, so, so I'm not saying that just because someone feels that way, that, that they are that way. Um, I'm going to say something I don't mean to be funny. I'm trying to prove a point here, uh, or I'm trying to help illustrate something. So um, uh, I'm I'm five foot ten. All right, I'm not even five foot ten. I'm five foot nine and three quarters. My my wife is five foot ten, so I like to think I'm five ten. If I were to tell you that I am six foot four, um, you would know I'm not. Right? If I said I identify as a six foot four Middle Eastern male takes you less than a second to realize the only thing that was true there is, is I'm a male. And yet our culture feels so upside down that I wonder if I went to downtown Portland and, and used those words, I identify as a six foot four Middle Eastern male, I think I'd probably bump into some people that would feel weird and they would say, hey, if, if that's how you identify, who am I to judge you? Um, 
What's crazy to me is I think that there are Christians today that would say that too, that are just so scared of the culture that they might echo some of the same words. So before we get any further, I, I want to pray. Lord, we, um, we love you, Jesus. I, I don't know everyone in this room. I don't know everyone's heart, Lord. Um, but for some reason, you have each one of us here today. And, and I pray that as we get into your word, Lord, that your word would impact our hearts and our minds, Lord. Uh, for, for every Christian in this room, I, I pray that you would transform us by the renewing of our minds, Lord. For anyone that doesn't know you, Jesus, I, I pray that as, as they hear from your word today, God, that you draw them to yourself, Lord. God, I pray for all of us as we are all sexual um, beings, Lord, and, and we all have desires that, that do not fit with what you've laid out in, in Scripture. Lord, would we submit our sexuality to you, Jesus? Whether, whether we feel one way or another, whether, whether, whatever it is, Lord, would we submit to you, Lord? It's in your name we pray. Amen. Um, I do have some books for you, um, a, few, a couple copies of each. Uh, this first book is uh, by Kevin DeYoung. It is uh, What Does the Bible Really Teach About Homosexuality? And this book is not written for like a seminary student, a Bible college student. This, this is written for uh, everyday person and not even, not even just church people. Um, if, if you would consider yourself not a church person, but you'd want to know what the Bible says, he breaks down the passages really well, gets into the original language. Um, his, his arguments are, are logical and consistent. So this is a great book. You could easily read this in two days. Um, this other book is uh, by Jackie Hill Perry, who I referenced earlier, called uh, Gay Girl, Good God, uh, the story of who I was and who God has always been. Um, Alyssa is also going to post on our website and uh, on our Facebook page this week um, a, uh, a recording of Jackie um, that, uh, where, where she talks more about this issue and, and about her story that I just think is really, really good. So if you want any of those books, come grab one after the service. And when you finish reading it, I just ask that you, you pass it on to someone else. Um, Four, four things I'm hoping happen in, in our sermon today. Uh, one is I, I do want us to see that uh, the New Testament authors agree with the Old Testament. There's consistency through Scripture that homosexuality is a sin. Uh, I think you've probably heard people say, oh, that was an Old Testament thing, and, and I want us to see that that's not true. Uh, we're going to look also at, uh, at Jesus and, and his understanding of marriage, which his understanding is right, correct? Um, his understanding that marriage is between a male and female. This is how God created it. Um, the third is I want all of us to know that there's hope for every sinner who trusts in Jesus, no matter what sin. And I'm not just talking about sexual sin right now. No matter what sin, there's hope for all of us. And then lastly, I want to give one foundational principle for how as Christians we're to live in this age. So you can turn to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 6. Um, later we'll flip to Matthew 19 if you want to put your finger there as well. But 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. <clears throat> Verse 9, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? So right away here, 
Paul should have our attention. He says, the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. And if you're a Jesus follower, I hope and assume that you see that God's word has authority. And uh, therefore, what Paul writes is, is true. So what's coming up after this matters, this list. If you're not a Christian, I hope that you would at least consider, if you don't trust God's word, I hope that you would at least ask yourself, what if Paul's right here? Because if he is, then that really, really matters. So he goes on, he says, do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor uh, revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And we'll get to verses 9 and 10 in a moment. But first, verse 11, there is hope because God saves. God gives life. God forgives. God cleanses. God sets apart. God justifies for everyone who sins, which is every one of us except for Jesus. Everyone else is unrighteous on our own. Every one of us needs saving, and we're incapable. And not just of one sin that feels really big in our life, but from every sin which Scripture tells us so easily entangles us, there's hope in Jesus. By the power of the Holy Spirit regenerating, giving us life. If we turn from sin, if we turn from ourselves to turning to Jesus to save us, it's available for everyone who repents. So I say to everyone, regardless of our topic today, if you feel the weight of sin, there's a Savior who loves you more than you can fathom. Jesus, as I heard one pastor put it, is all grace and all truth all the time, and he came to rescue you from the clutches of sin. He took your place on the cross for every sin you'd commit, from gossip to fraud to sexual sin to lying, cheating, overeating, name the sin, whatever it was, he took on the wrath and judgment that we deserved. And this is the best news possible. Right? The bad news of sin and judgment and wrath, that is terrible news, but the good news of salvation is better. So I encourage you, if you haven't trusted Jesus yet, man, trust him today. The ver verse 9 there, he says, do not be deceived, right? And it's like this little slap in the face just in case we didn't get the part about the unrighteous not inheriting the kingdom of God. He says, don't fall for it. Don't be tricked because sin fools everyone. So he gives this list, and this list is to the Corinthian church, and it, it deals with a, a lot of things. The culture that they were in was saturated in. This list wasn't random, but this is true to life in, in their immediate world. Uh, I read that 14 of the first 15 emperors, including Nero, who, who was in power when Paul wrote this, were believed to be either gay or bisexual. So Paul lists here uh, 10 forms of sin that are incompatible with God's kingdom. And if we look at Paul's point as simply as possible, he's saying those who, who, who practice these things, those who are going after these things, have no part in God's kingdom. Now, one argument that we'll hear from people that are trying to justify uh, homosexuality through the Bible, um, they'll say that lists like this one mention homosexuality, but they're not talking about monogamous, consensual homosexuality. And if that 
were true, that would be an excellent argument. And that is an argument that has tickled the ears of many churchgoers. But the problem is there aren't qualifications in this list. There aren't qualifications in the other list. If you were to go back to uh, Leviticus 18, we get all these rules about sex. And Leviticus as a whole is concerned with, with holiness, with people uh, following after a holy God. So we get these lists uh, about sex. Incest is wrong, we're told. Adultery is wrong. Homosexuality, bestiality is wrong. Leviticus gives zero exceptions for any of those other sexual sins. They're just labeled as sin. So the, the, the description of uh, homosexuality actually in, in Leviticus 8.22, is not to lie with a male as a woman, right? which takes us back to, to Genesis, that by design God made male and female to fit together sexually. So in, in these lists throughout Scripture, the only consideration is the gender of those having sex. And for years, like I said, people uh, have... Have, uh, when they look at scripture, they're saying it denounces uh, homosexuality only when it's talking about non-committed homosexuality or, um, or rape or abuse of a minor or a slave master to slave. But there are not qualifications like that. The word that Paul uses, he, he actually created. It's a compound word. He, he mushed two words together and the literal translation would be those who take men to bed. So there's no, there's no ambiguity here. Um, with homosexuality. Now, a few weeks ago, I spoke about the reality that Christians, this side of heaven, with sin, we still battle our flesh. Right? God has saved us from our sin, and, and we still battle our sin. So when Paul gives this list, he's talking about people that, that aren't battling anything in Christ. Right? They're, these are people that do not have the righteousness of Christ. All they have is their unrighteousness as they run after these things. There's no brokenness before God. Paul says that these things are not compatible with God's kingdom, that un the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom. The only way to inherit the kingdom is to have the righteousness of Jesus given to your account. Let's turn over to Matthew chapter 19, if you have your Bibles. Chapter 19, verse 3, And the Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause. He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother, and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. The Pharisees, they come to test Jesus on this topic of divorce, and Jesus disallows any reason except for sexual immorality. In order to make his point, he takes them back to creation. It's interesting. I hadn't, I hadn't thought about this before, but I read someone, and they pointed out all the complementary pairs in the creation story that were absolutely they were necessary to be paired together, the sun and the moon, day and night, morning and evening, the sea and the dry land, and then the height of creation, the pinnacle of creation, man and woman. And none of these pairs work without the other. Each is designed by God for a specific complementary purpose. So this is how Jesus takes on the question of divorce, by taking us back to the garden before sin entered, back to Adam and Eve. The woman that, that, that God made from man that was a compliment to man. 
In 1 Corinthians 11, 8 and 9, we won't turn there, but Paul talks about that in making woman from man, she was made to complement man. Eve was made for man. And then he goes on two verses later and says this, 1 Corinthians 11, 11, Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. For as woman was made from man, so man is now born of woman, and all things are from God. So God created man and woman with this interdependence. And it's significant that God created them. And no, he didn't just create them. He created everything. Everything was his idea. It was his creativity, and it happened in his power. Now, if you were to go home and make something, you were to create something, right? Maybe it's in your garage or your shop or your kitchen. If you create something, you're the one that dreamed it up. You know its purpose better than anyone else. You have authority over that thing and, and how it will be used. God has authority. Or if there was a patent process back then, God would have all the patents. So we, we talk a lot about rights today, and we, let's think about the rights of the Creator. He knows the purpose He created everything for. We were created for His glory. Genesis 127 tells us that, that He created man and woman in the image of God. So this makes it clear that, that they were made to serve Him. We were made to serve God. God is the one that Adam and Eve belonged to. They were in a relationship with him, and it was good. They served God, and they were obedient to him for a time. We were made, just like them, to be in a relationship with our creator. But as you know, sin came in and broke creation. It shattered humanity's relationship with God. You know what happens. The snake comes in, starts talking, which probably should have been a sign, and, and he presents the fruit that they were told by God not to eat, right? You can eat of any tree, but this one, don't eat. And ultimately, she believed that what the snake said was good instead of trusting that God knew what was good, that God actually knew what was best. So she eats it. She hands the fruit to Adam, who was apparently right there and didn't speak up, and he eats it. So sin enters creation. Sin enters humanity and breaks our relationship with God, and that's the story that every one of us is a part of and impacted by. It's interesting one of the first impacts uh, that we see of sin in the story of the fall is Adam and Eve, they eat the fruit, their eyes are open, and what happens? They realize they're naked and ashamed, and, and they go and they hide. Human sexuality is, is an interesting theme throughout all of Scripture. I, I cannot unpack it, but we see it all over the place. You think of Israel being described as the unfaithful spouse Jesus, in the New Testament, he's the faithful husband. In Revelation, we're told that God's people will celebrate the marriage supper of the Lamb. It doesn't matter if you're attracted to the opposite sex or if you're same-sex attracted. All of us are impacted by sin, including in our sexuality. So back to Matthew 19 here. Jesus reminds the Pharisees and, and us as readers today. He says, go back, look at creation. Look at the Creator and what He made. He made man and woman to go together. Marriage was His invention, His creation. He has the authority to tell us what marriage is. And you may look at Matthew 19 and say, well, that's not talking about homosexuality. Well, it, it is talking about that, that God made marriage to be heterosexual. Jesus says marriage is male and female. Look how, we, look how they created it. Verse 6 serves as a warning of sorts. He says, what God has joined together, let no man separate. And that's talking about divorce, right? That's the immediate context. 
we also should not separate what God has made in his creation of marriage between male and female. So one argument is uh, that Jesus didn't really directly hit on homosexuality, or in fact that the Bible, as vast as the Bible is, that it doesn't talk much about homosexuality. And I think the reason is kind of simple. Um, it, It wasn't controversial. There was no doubt that it was a sin. If we look at the letters, the epistles to the churches, uh, um, the topics are about what the church was struggling with, right? what they needed to be instructed in. There's no evidence that the ancient Jews or the early Christians tolerated homosexuality. They didn't argue as if it was permissible or not. So scripture, we do have it in some places, but it's not all over the place. Um, Gay Dutch uh, scholar, uh, I believe it's pronounced Pim Pronk, admits that many Christians are coming to the Bible looking for support of homosexuality. And this is what he says. He says, in this case, the support is lacking. And he goes on to say, wherever homosexual intercourse is mentioned in Scripture, it's condemned. Rejection is a foregone conclusion. As we look in Scripture, all sexual sin is a big deal. Heterosexual sin, homosexual sin, no matter how it looks, it's, it's a big deal. There are at least eight lists of vices in the New Testament, and each one of them mentions sexual sin. Most of them mention multiple types of sexual sin. So I say that to say that sexual sin is not a gray area. This is not a agree-to-disagree-on point in Scripture. Imagine for a moment what the world would be like if everyone, Christian and non-Christian, followed God's instruction for our sexuality. Imagine all the problems we would not have. Sexual assault would not exist. There'd be no rape. STDs would not exist. Abortion would be nearly eliminated, if not totally eliminated. No sexual slavery. Kids would not be sexually abused. The baggage that comes from things like one-night stands would not exist. All sexual sin is a big deal. Same-sex attraction, or same-sex attraction activity, uh, no matter what the circumstances, is a sin, according to God. I do think that um, the way Christians have talked about it, though, and thought about same-sex attraction relationships, um, that we have, uh, we have made it the problem for people. In this way, I think we've distorted the gospel. We've got a person that, um, let's say, they, they want to follow Jesus, and they see that homosexuality is a sin. They, they recognize that in Scripture. This becomes their sole focus. They want to eradicate sin, which is good, um, but, but it's as if, if they can just get rid of that sin, then they'll be right before God. A speaker, a writer, Jackie Hill Perry, who I mentioned, she shares that the woman who was discipling her very early in her relationship with Jesus one day told her, homosexuality isn't your problem. Sin is your problem. You, you have a heart that is rebellious against God, and then she lists all these sinful things. She's like, you're arrogant. You blah, blah. She just rails on her. She's like, homosexuality is not the only thing that you're dealing with. And, and this is true of all of us. You can insert any sin into it, Um, a sin that's a massive problem in your life. You can get fixated on it and and, and come to think whether you realize it or not, that if you could just kick this one sin to the curb, then you're now good with God. And and the reality is you're you're not. No matter how disciplined you are and how many sins you can eliminate, you're still in need of God's grace. You can't tidy yourself up and be acceptable to God. This is a salvation by works. 
Jackie Hill Perry points out that when Christians with the best of intentions say, God will make you straight, or God will give you a wife, or a husband, um, God will fix you, we're saying that this one sin is the biggest problem. God doesn't call any of us to a temptationless Christianity. Now, maybe God will take away uh, a certain sin from you. We, we look at what Paul said in, in verse 11 of uh, 1 Corinthians, right? You too were this way. Such were some of you. So does that mean that, that God just takes away sin struggles in our life? Well, um, it, sometimes he, he does. Um, it, it seems what often happens when someone comes to know Christ, that, that the things that they used to love, even just a couple days before, there's, there's a distaste for uh, yet it's not magically gone. This process usually takes a long time as God changes, I've talked about this before, your palate. God changes uh, your tastes. So maybe you go back to that thing that you loved before coming to Christ and you sample it, but it leaves you with a bad taste in your mouth. The sin that you used to love, it's not what it seemed to be to you. So maybe for a brother and sister of Christ who, who deals with same-sex attraction, maybe God totally will take that away. Uh, like, uh, there are several Christians, Jackie Hill's one of them, um, who, uh, who now, in following Christ, now they're, they're married, they're heterosexual, but I don't know, uh, I don't know from her if, if same-sex attraction ever rears its head again. There certainly is radical transformation in Jesus. God is powerful. God can and does transform. He may not take away that sin from you. You may still have to battle that. So I think for a long time, Christians have said, probably in faith, God will make you straight, and that becomes the goal for that person. We, we've distracted them from the gospel. The goal has become being heterosexual, not having a heart that just treasures Christ above all. So I'm not saying we don't fight sin, but, but we do it with a heart that, belong, that, that, that longs for God's glory. So some brothers and sisters in Christ will submit to Jesus and trust in him, even though God doesn't seem to change their sexual desires, at least not for a long, long time. So that would mean for them that submitting to Jesus would be living with the, the same-sex attraction, but not acting on those desires. The question for all of us, no matter no matter what your sexuality is, is will you submit your sexuality to Jesus? Will you let Jesus be Lord of everything that is encompassed in your sexuality? Ephesians 4.15, we'll close with this. He says, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. And we've heard this phrase a lot. If you've been around the church for even just a couple of years, you've heard we're to speak the truth in love. And yet we all know Christians that, uh, that, that fall on one side or the other. And, and in fact, probably all of us fall on one side or the other. We know Christians that they do a great job of speaking biblical truth. And yet you have no idea if they love anyone, let alone you. They pound you over the head representing the God of love. And yet they're a terrible ambassador for God's love. I think Jonah is a great example of this. Jonah, if you don't know the prophet, he goes to Nineveh and, and he tells them, hey, 40 days, Nineveh's gonna be overturned. And, and it doesn't say this, but it's as if, it's as if he laughs to himself, <laughs> you sinners, right? He did not want God to relent from destruction. 
He did not want God to be compassionate to them. He stays around at the end of the book waiting to see if they will be destroyed. But they repented. And because of that, God relented. It's incredible that God still used this. Right? He did not speak the truth in love, and yet God still used this prophet without love. That speaks to God's power and his love. But it certainly isn't an example for us to follow. And too often in the gay and lesbian community, I think they've encountered Christians that have been a lot like Jonah. When, when God's truth is shared, it's had very little to do with love and compassion for people that are lost. We cannot speak truth detached from God's love. And then the other side is, is people that, that love Jesus, um, but they, they, they never speak truth. They never speak biblical truth. So I'm not suggesting like you get into a relationship with someone, find out they're gay, and you lead in with, hey, have you read 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10? Like, I'm, I'm not saying that's where you, you start off, but if we never are willing to talk, never willing to have truthful conversations with people. If God opens a door for you uh, to have that conversation, it's not loving to keep that truth back. I think a lot of times what keeps us back from speaking truth is we don't want to be in an awkward conversation or we don't want to be labeled a homophobe or a hate monger or whatever. But that's about you, right? That's not about them. It certainly isn't about God's glory. Love cannot be disconnected from the truth. This must be done dependent on the Holy Spirit. And, and you know what I mean. Right? There, there are times where, where God's leading you to something and, and you realize, man, i got to pray. And you pray something like, Lord, are you asking me to speak right now about this? Because if you are, you got to know I'm terrified. But if that's where you're leading me, will you give me the words? Will you help me to speak? Right? We have to be dependent on the Holy Spirit. And, and uh, this issue obviously is, isn't going anywhere. Right? This, this issue um, is an issue that, that just because God leads you to speak truth, just because God leads you to speak about him in this, it doesn't mean it'll be well-received. Right? God may lead you to speak about this, and, and, and maybe it will very, very rarely be well-received. This is an issue that Christians have faced persecution for, and I'm pretty sure it's only going to get worse. We are labeled as bigots, as closed-minded, as hate mongers, and yet we're called to be light. Right? Light that speaks God's truth in love to a world that desperately needs to hear what verse 11 says. When Paul said, And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. Jesus' followers, and even those who don't follow Jesus, there's hope for, uh, to be forgiven of all of our sin, not just sexual sin. We do not have to remain living in sin and dying in our sin because Jesus died for our sin. Let's pray. God, you are good, Lord. Jesus, I thank you that um, you loved us enough to come and live a sinless life, die the death that we were supposed to die, that we deserve to die, so that if we would trust in you, we would be forgiven. And God, all of us have sin that we deal with, Lord. And our struggles might look different, but even just with sexuality, Lord, we all have sexual desires that, that are off from what, 
what God's word tells us is good. So Lord, we, we confess that to you, Lord. And, and I just pray that we would want to follow you, that you would give us a heart that longs to follow after you, no matter what it is that we're dealing with, no matter what temptation we have, God. Lord, I don't even know if I've done a good job speaking about this today. But Holy Spirit, I, I just pray that you would work in our hearts, Lord. I, I pray that we would do an excellent job of loving people, no matter what their background is, no matter what their sin is. You've done an incredible job, obviously, uh, of loving us, uh, a bunch of wretches, Lord. But, but your love is absolutely incredible. Your grace is obviously more powerful than our sin, Lord. I, I pray that we would have hearts that trust in you and not in anything else, Jesus. Lord, we love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.